Falconers and fops. Bake up a fresh batch of bird lime, harness your game ferrets, and become the living embodiment of the goddess Diana. Because it's time to talk tall to me. <laughs> I wish I was the living embodiment of of anything, really. Of a, any god. Yeah. Minor or, deity. Yeah. Honestly, a, a, a fiendish imp would be great. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A sporting chase through the teeming forests of prog rock in which Nick... The horseback himbo and omen side saddle said will keep a keen eye out for deep palmer droppings and pick up John Evan when he falls out of the saddle. Every tipsy foray an album, every trumpet blast a song, Nick and I will not rest until we have mounted above our mantelpieces the tattered skins of every single song Jethro Tull has ever released. Soho! Soho! Release the sounds! I definitely thought you were going to say that we would have the tattered skins of every member of Jethro Tull. <laughs> Maybe the tattered foreskins. Could have. Nope. Uh, I, you don't have to use oh, that. Too much. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> too much, too far. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Yeah, uh, welcome back. We are about halfway through Songs from the Wood now, as of as of this episode. Actually, a pertinent question regarding that, Nick. Yeah. This was uh, released as a vinyl. Do we know where the flip is? We do. I believe it's I believe it's after this song. Let me double check. Nope, nope, Solstice Bells will will round out side A. Okay, so we're so, still we're still yeah. firmly on side A. That's true. That's true. We are we are nearing the end, but not yet. At we're drifting the end. toward the spinning center. That's right. And I will throw up, and you will <laughs> scream, scream we'll in joy all over my shoes. Yep. <laughs> so before we dive into the song of the day, we have just a little snippet about the album itself. We're still working our way through the the facts there. Yes, coming after the album "Tool to Rock and Roll." Specifically, this is a quote from Ian that pertains to that. I think there were more than a few journalists at the time who saw our move toward folk as an admission that we were taking to heart the title of the track, Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Mm. We were indeed too old for heavier music and therefore had to find a more tranquil path, so they believed. The media saw this as an opportunity to rip into Jethro Tull. The reality was that, as I wrote it in an ironic fashion, they really missed the point. Not for the first time, the joke was on them, (laughs) and they weren't bright enough to realize. Of course, when our next album was songs, they all felt we had succumbed to old age. Wow. Which is so funny because actually the sound in Songs from the Wood is so much more hardcore and more rock and roll in a way than, than too old. You think so? In a way, yeah. I mean, in, in in terms of the energy, but yeah. Also, that is the most Ian Anderson quote it, ever. It one hundred percent is. You didn't get the joke. You were wrong and dumb. And boy, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> that was my That's, my Ian impression. <laughs> that was that was excellent. That was yeah. that was eerie. 
So, Nick, I actually have a little, just a little quote from a book. Uh, actually, hold on a second. Let me just ring this. Um... Uh, yes, Mary, could you could you bring me that book from my library? Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, th- oh, th- thank you. Oh, Mary. Oh my God! Please, please don't bring a gun in here. That's not necessary. What? I'm getting ready for the big hunt. I, I. That's fine, but just. Just please don't wave it around in the study, if you don't mind. That's right. It's not loaded! It was loaded? <laughs> yes. Yes. Good thing it's a musket and there is only one one bullet in there. Please, just sweep up the plaster later and thank you for the book. All right. <sighs> So here we have uh, from the book A Passion Play, the story of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull by Brian Rabbi. In the chapter Tull Renascent. Renascent meaning what? Reborn? Rebirth? Rebirthing. Renascent. Becoming active or popular again, specifically. Yeah, like like a baby coming out of the womb. Uh, that is, they're, they're becoming popular again, yeah. They had a, dark, a down phase before that. They do get more popular once they exit the womb. That's what I hear. The bucolic frolic, that is, songs from the wood, benefited from Anderson's move from the city to the country. He began to embrace all things woodsy and reflected his newfound surroundings in song. Needless to say, it was one of those brighter albums. But Anderson didn't just retire into a wooded area he took on the responsibility for an actual working farm. All of this showed through on the album, a combination of English and Celtic folk roots, but with some heavy metal mandolin, quotations around. (laughs) Wait, what part part was quoted? The heavy Heavy, metal or the Heavy metal mandolin. Oh, the whole thing, okay. (laughs) The portative pipe organ made its debut into the Jethro Tull live show, which saw Ian with his hair shorter and sporting riding breeches Mm. and crop, like some English country squire, which you could argue he was. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. And I think this is, this is around the era where he started doing the bowler hat too. If I, if it might be a little bit later, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Which there was, I was watching a, a, a concert, on YouTube, a 1977 concert, and he's got this bright red bowler hat on that doesn't match anything else that he's wearing. Not. But yeah. it's, a, it's this bright red bowler. Yeah. So, Nick, with all of those tidbits, shall we reveal what is the song about which we are talking tall today? Yes, if you have not guessed it and you have not listened to songs from the wood religiously and know the tracks by heart and have not looked at the title of this podcast surprise it's hunting girl oh nick this is a favorite song of mine very much that that does not really surprise me i (laughs) i need to i need to go pray seems seems like i'm hearing a lot of judgment in your voice to go confess my sins Let's uh, let's dive in, shall we? Shall we have a listen? Yeah, let's let's ride on into Hunting Girl. All right.
Well, Nick, I Ooh, am just back from my cold shower. Mm-hmm. Okay, took a, a shot of grappa and a shot of espresso. Yes, and went and went and got slapped by uh, by a, a new priest and an old priest. <laughs> I was gonna say by a nun, but yeah. <laughs> oh no, no more nuns. <laughs> um, so that is Hunting Girl, Nick. What a damn good song that is! Oh my goodness. Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, where does this rank, Nick, in your in your overall kind of pantheon of tall songs? Is this is this one of the ones that you really enjoy and connect with, or is this like I respect it, but you know, it's really difficult to take anything off of this album as a whole and yeah. put it somewhere because the album itself falls. Like if I were doing like a top ten list, there would be like moths and reasons for waiting the album songs from the wood yeah in yeah, the slot yeah. and then just just go down I, it's, it's very difficult but i mean if if you put a flute to my head i would have to say this is <laughs> top probably top 20 okay i don't know if i'd go so far as to say top 10 but i'd say top 20 i think you know and i do i do want to acknowledge you know everyone every tall fan has that album which is super special for them yeah. Or those albums that are very special for them. Sure. And, you know, I want to just, I just want to speak into the space, our bias. Right. In the sense that this album was very influential for both of us and we freaking love it. Yeah. For any number of reasons, for a variety of reasons. And we each have our own uh, different reasons. Secret for, reasons. For really right? love secret that I'll never tell reasons. <laughs> Maybe we'll make that a Patreon goal. If you if we make <laughs> enough money, I'll tell you my dirty secrets about this album. <laughs> uh-huh. But but yeah, like it's it's so difficult to to separate it because even though even though the critics kind of said this is a, a concept album, and Ian has very vociferously said no, I don't see it as a concept, but it is it is so thematically built together strategically and and very sonically it Mm. all works together in 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 one piece and because i i this is not an album that i'll be like okay i want to listen to this song i want to listen to this song if i'm listening to anything off of songs from the wood it's the entire thing yeah and it's not a long album either so which makes it very convenient to be able to do that it's almost as if Ian didn't create it as a concept album, but we listening to it created a concept for it in our own hearts. And honestly, more than any band I can think of, that seems to be a regular thing for anyone listening to Tull. Like you said, they all have their own special albums for uh, those number of reasons. I think that's the case for, for Tull because their music fits so well together. It's easy to to congeal as a clot in your heart as an album as opposed to individual songs. Yes, a life-giving clot. Thank you. My cardiologist will be sending you my bill. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the song uh, specifically? What have we got musically here, Nick? This is quite a lot to unpack, but what are, one of the, what are some of the things you observe? Well, we've, we've got a pretty epic opener. Uh, it's another instance of everything rolling in Pretty much at once. I don't think there's anything that gets at... Maybe the organ. Does the organ start off right in the beginning? Well, now, so here's where we get into a little bit of difficulty because there are actually two organs. Ah. There is John Evan on his regular organ, and there's Dee Palmer on the portative organ. Which, But there are actually some pretty clear examples of where you hear them both at the same time, and you can actually 
listen and, and think, oh, those are different instruments. Yeah, okay. So just just to clarify really quickly, I don't think we need to go too much into it, but portative organ comes, the word portative comes from the Latin verb to carry. So it's a portable, like a dinky little organ. Right. Yeah. It honestly looks like a, a, a child's instrument, a little <laughs> Fisher-Price portative organ. Yeah. My first organ. D. Palmer's first organ. <laughs> so yeah, you're obviously going to be getting different sounds from the build of the different instruments. Yeah. But then throughout the song, we have, because sometimes it is really full on, like you say. For me, the sort of driver of this song is Barrymore Barlow, who just, mm. oh my gosh, just charges ahead, yeah. thrusts ahead with the drum. and Rocks the hell out of it, yeah. And gives it this feeling of, of movement forward, like you're being mm. carried along on the, on the back of a muscular horse, for yeah. instance. Yeah, totally. He he even yeah, and he puts some of those and even some of his fills. Yeah, they're very reminiscent of horse hooves. Yeah, he has a way to, of blending the snare and the bass to get that feel of a, of a of a trotting or or uh, running horse. Yeah, and he switches up the rhythm sometimes. So sometimes you have yes. this very sort of like you know it almost tricks you into thinking it's four on the floor. And then he'll do a crazy run, sort of like dum dum dum. At this point, classic Barrymore that we've seen, and I gosh, yeah. I, I love it. Not, but and often paired together, the two mm-hmm. we would pair it with John Glasscock's bass. Absolutely, but, but John is very forward in this song. But again, doing a similar thing where he will sometimes play a run of three or four of the same bass note very regularly in a row and then uh-huh. and then do some kind of a crazy bass flourish. Yeah, they let him step forward and fairly regularly is a, a nice kind of off to the side piece in this song is he and Martin will will talk back and forth between the some yes. really nice electric stings offset by John's bass coming in. Yeah. Overall, there this is a great example sonically of how to use all the bandmates together, but then also give each of them a moment to shine individually. It's very, very cool the way it's composed. There are even yeah. some you know, essentially full rests in this song where everything will just, just for a second, almost entirely die out. And then one instrument will lead the charge again. Yeah. Usually Martin, I think. Yes. But there's enough, there's enough echo or, or, or reverb or whatever. There's enough bleed in the sound that there's never pure silence. There's no, it never is. Yeah, you're right. never entirely a dies draw. away. Yeah, it's it's such a cool effect. It just fades enough to heighten your senses again and then blasts like, you it. Oh, here it comes. Yeah. This song has a very odd distinction of being the hardest one off of the album, at least so far, Mm. I feel comfortable in saying. But also that organ, and maybe it's specifically the portative, 
that organ makes it have the most like Renaissance feel as well. Are you referring to? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it just it just has this this ecclesiastical feel. Yeah, yeah, very. What's the word I'm looking for? Courtly, aristocratic. Yeah, fancy pants. I see. Indulge me for a moment. Oh, let me indulge you. I see Michael Riley in mitre and robes standing in front of a rock band conducting this song. <laughs> wow. No one will understand that reference. I think he's been astral projecting into your dreams again. Again? You know, I used to I used to have dreams about him in high school, right? And then and then you and then you gave him a cease and desist letter. And then, and then yeah, my lawyer spoke to him and he stopped. Stop so. astral projecting into Nick's dreams. <laughs> well, I'm sure we can talk more about music as it comes up. Oh, one thing uh-huh. to note, I do it is in some sort of an even count, either four, four, or two, two. Okay. One, two, three. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it is just four four. Yeah. And I think that gives it that aids it in that driving forward feeling. Sure. Sure. Nothing too complex to have to wrap your mind around. They let the instruments speak the complexity, not the time signature. Exactly. Because the instruments do kind of drift on and off of that and, and pull against that time signature. Yeah. They rear up and and froth at the mouth against the time signature, but the time signature controls them tightly. Oh, oh, oh the structure. The, the oh. firm hand. So <laughs> let's uh let's talk about the lyrics, Nick. Sure. Well, let me drink some water. Is this and this is pure speculation, is this Maybe, is this an Ian fantasy of, boy, if I were only in the medieval period and it's like a two-tiered fantasy. It's like, boy, I would love to live then and and wouldn't it be great if this happened when I lived there at that time? Well, um, let's, yes, where does this <laughs> fall into the, in, into the category of tall songs? I think this is yeah. definitely, you know, Ian writing as fictional narrator yes i was just being cheeky i don't don't honestly think it's like a straight up ian fantasy but but but, But, i mean there's enough there's enough fondness that comes through that (laughs) who knows yeah so let's let's dig into the content a little bit so let's look at the lyrics so nick you said you said medieval and i think that we need to do a kind of a brief overview especially for our american listeners about the history of hunting in England. Oh, yes. Yeah, I th- I think there is a definitively different connotation for between yes. American and English hunting. Right. In America, you know, we come from the the tradition of the frontier and the, you know, the lone the lone woodsman or woodswoman Wood, woods person going out with a with a gun to provide for their for their family. Boom. Venison. <laughs> Have some rabbit filled with pellets. <laughs> and yes, filled with lead. But in England it was it was much more of a uh, an institution, a social institution. Mm. And and it does go of course all the way back to, you know, the dawn of 
the dawn of human eating. But, you know, as as early as the Middle Ages and certainly the Renaissance, it was a it was a recreation. It was a sport, especially of the aristocracy, the upper classes. That's um, yeah, that's the thing is, is they the peasantry could hunt. But they couldn't hunt on the aristocracy's land, and if they were caught doing so, it was poaching, and they were punished probably pretty gush darn severely. And oh, often by death. Or yeah, worse. yeah. It was it was just another example of of the rich not even needing to hunt for food, doing it strictly for sport, yes. controlling all of the best land with their own money, of course, yes. and just keeping the poor guy down. And you know, typically in England, that that type of hunting was a was that the purview of of men you know it was mostly men who hunted henry the eighth famous hunter yeah the gender man not like human race man not human race man yes yes it was it was a very gendered sport however there are important examples of women hunting throughout history one it's talking about what you were just speaking of uh, regarding poaching There were some interesting laws on the books back in the day, I think in the medieval and early Renaissance periods, where women couldn't be held responsible no. for their own crimes if they were married. <laughs> Wait, so so did the man get in trouble for it? Or was it just kind of a wash? I, I think it, it created an opportunity for a wash, at least. Okay. So what would happen is women would go and poach. Yeah. And then the argument could be made... Of, well, you know, she's just a woman. She doesn't know what's going on. You know, sir, it's a full moon and uh, and she just, oh, I couldn't control her. I was all working in the field. And she did touch the deer, so it's polluted, so we may as well keep it. (laughs) Throw it out, throw it out. You know, so that was sort of an interesting thing. But then when you get into into the formal hunt, there were exceptional examples of women hunters, including Queen Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm who was referred to by Sir Walter Raleigh as a chasseress, meaning a, a, a huntress, and the living embodiment of Artemis or Diana, the Greek gods of hunting. I was going to bring those up, the fact that the, the Greek and Roman gods for the hunt are, are actually goddesses, are women. Yes, absolutely. There was also Queen Isabella, the wife of Edward II, Mary of Burgundy, the young wife of the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I, if you were at the very, very top of society and you were a woman, you could def you could, you defo could get away with hunt it, right. without any any kind of pushback. But that being said, that of that list, all of them were were wives of kings except for for Liz one. She was very she was king. She she was the the virgin king queen everything so yeah. she she's a bit of an outlier i think in that regard because right. she was she could embody the the masculine as well as the feminine and and she did exactly so so this brings up the interesting point where do we get in what time period are we referring to the hunting girl so as you go mm. forward in history women involved in hunting becomes more there are more examples of it and also as you move forward things like deer and boar are essentially hunted pretty much to extinction or or hunted to an extreme rarity. And therefore, what you then get is the fox hunt. Right. So a fox hunt is pure sport. No one's going to eat a fox, or at least I don't recommend it. 
but it gives you the thrill of the chase. Yeah. You release the hounds, the hounds run after the fox, you run after the hounds, and everyone has a great time. Yeah. So this in the uh, Edwardian, yes, in the Edwardian and Victorian periods, this became the dominant hunting sport. Sure. And around this time, around the 1860s, mid-1800s, women became more and more included in the hunt. And this was a very gradual process. Because it was it was more of an event. It was absolutely more of an event. So, you know, initially you would get like, okay, we're, we're doing a hunt. It's going to be great fun. Oh, yes, I guess the women can come watch if they want. Yeah. And then, but it was still very much the, the domain of the gender of man. And then... There were women who were upwardly mobile or part of the aristocracy who would who would get training in riding, whereas, you know, men would be put on horses from the time they were kids. And so they would just sort of learn by doing women would actually start to be trained and they started realizing, well, wait a minute, I actually can ride pretty well. And so then you started getting this thing of like, oh, yes, I suppose the women can come along if they stay out of the way. Right. And so then there was this whole period of like, yes, okay, women can come on the hunt as long as they have a dedicated guide. Yes. That that feeble woman needs someone to take care of her at all times. Right, right. Yeah. And then something happened, which as so often affects the trajectory of history, Nick, there was a technological innovation. So women for most of history had ridden side saddle, which is a mm. terrible and uncomfortable way of riding where you put, you fold one leg over the saddle so that you're sort of sitting like on a chair, twisting yourself halfway around so you can see where you're going. You're you're literally sideways, yeah. You're literally sideways. The argument being that it was horribly undecent, indecent for a woman to ride astride. With like legs split, yeah. Yeah, it, it also is a lot easier to fall off because you're not straddling the horse. So you can't, exactly. you can't go over uneven ground. You can't exactly. go too fast. So that this prevented them from, this prevented women from galloping, from jumping, mm-hmm. from... Mm-hmm going at the speeds required to participate in the hunt. Okay, well, then someone invented a an extra saddle piece, basically a, a, a newer, fancier saddle, which locked the woman's leg into place. Oh, they gosh. were still riding side saddle. Okay. But they basically put their, their folded leg into a kind of a, a leather envelope that was hooked around a horn, mm-hmm. which locked them onto the saddle. Okay. Meaning that suddenly they could do all the things that that they couldn't do before. And the inclusion of women in the hunt, then what men started realizing is, oh, these drunk assholes that I hunt with are much less likely to swear and act like total gross dudes. Peasants. Yeah, when there's a woman here. So that is the aristocrat saying that these guys are lowering the class of my high society hunting excursion. Yes, or to flip it, to say that, ah, the inclusion of women actually elevates the sport. Sure, okay. Because it, it's not just a bunch of aristocrats. It's their wait staff. it's their yes. butlers, it's it's everybody, because God knows they got to go in comfort. Yeah, a- absolutely. It's glamping <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> but the hunty part of, you know, barreling after the hounds, that was, you know, that's the bit, that's the fun bit. And so that's the bit yes. that they wanted to make sure that they were included with. Sure. And then eventually what began happening, and this is what this amazing 
article that I read was detailing. Let me actually pull up the name of the author so that we are giving cred. The inclusion of this article is entirely due to the the huntress of my heart, my darling wife, who, because she's in grad school, was able to use her JSTOR account to download me this article entitled <laughs> Vixens of Venery, Women, Sport, and Fox Hunting in Britain, 1860 to 1914 by Erica Monkwitz. And that's an abuse of power. I'm going to report her to the board immediately. Abstract. In the years between 1860 and 1914, more women than ever pursued equestrian activities throughout Britain. A study of riding manuals for ladies shows why these pursuits became so popular and how female equestrians used sports such as fox hunting to revise, but not reject, traditional gender roles. So, essentially, from this article by Erica Monkwitz, we get this narrative of women using fox hunting as a way to elevate their own place within the sporting world. Which therefore puts them in a more overall, not necessarily level per se, because God knows it's still not level. But it's a step. But a lot closer to that boundary of man. Exactly. And when you read or when you read the article uh, which the author read, these training manuals for a for horse riding ship written by women for women, there's a lot of talk about the mental training that needs to happen. Mm, Saying that you have to be in control of your horse. Don't let him lead you where he wants to go. You are in control. You have to be taking the reins. And pointing out in the manuals that, you know, this psychological stance or this kind of behavior can transfer out of the saddle. How groundbreaking and amazing to hear. That is so... So awesome. That's so awesome to hear. I just want to know yeah. one more thing before we go back to the song. Yes, finally. In that abstract, she said, revising, not rejecting. Right. And that is so brilliant. That's so brilliant. <laughs> right, because because not only were they riding as hard and as fast as men were riding, they were doing so with more dignity and more class than the men. Uh-huh. You'll get nowhere if you tell a powerful white man right. that he's wrong. You won't. I'm sorry. But if you <laughs> ride your horse, your horse better and faster than he can, he'll he'll notice. He will notice. Yeah. And then if you happen to also have business dealings, you know, I mean, I, I think of it sort of like, I imagine that it was a lot like golf for the English aristocracy. You know, that's like, sure. I'm sure the hunting, the post hunting field was where a lot of business deals were made. Were made. So yeah. it was this amazing inroad of social and psychological empowerment for women enter the hunting girl in this song and i do think that in terms of time period i do think that we are i imagine this song taking place in sort of the edwardian victorian era sure that makes sense with all of the i'm so glad you did that research that's super super interesting and super helpful and i think it does really pin this down in a in a, in a broad sense of at least some some rough time period It'll never happen again. It'll never. And and one final note, just just to observe that that whole world was very 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 English. Yes, it's it was almost at the time the national sport of England and very specific to England. It was a very different world if you cross the pond and look at the states in the the turn of the 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 nineteenth twentieth century. 
Yes. Oh, please don't. Please don't look. Is If it's the turn, if it's going from 19 to 20, is that the turn of the 19th or the turn of the 20th? It's the turn of the 19th, right? I think you just say it's the turn of the century. What century, Omen? We'll never know. Oh, no. <laughs> so does our titular character lose control of her horse or does she pretend <laughs> to lose control of her horse? My opinion is that, so you're, you're referring to the line. So we have, so let's see, we have our narrator seeing the hunt racing past and you're referring to the line, one fine young lady's horse refused the fence to clear. Mm-hmm. I sure am. <laughs> one fine young lady's horse refused the fence to clear. It is my opinion, based on this historical research, that a lady in this position would have been sufficiently skilled to absolutely make the jump. Yeah. And also sufficiently skilled to make it appear as though she couldn't. Right. If every other chucklehead has made that jump, you bet your saddle horn that, that she would be able to make that jump. But she saw exactly. a, a rather uh, a rather comely uh, peasant man on the side of the road. She's not on the hunt for the fox. No. She's no, on she, the hunt she, for the cox. Oops. She has found her prey. Whoop. She has found her prey. She's found her prey. Yeah. So she dissembles. She gets our narrator to unlock the gate. But she did wait until the pack had disappeared. But she did wait until the pack had disappeared. Right. By way of breaking the ice, so to speak, she's, she's, oh, oh, could you, oh my, could you open that gate for me, please? Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, based on the social disparity between the two characters here, he might have just been like, oh my God, yes, let me just get that for you. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Also that. And if she, she did have to jump, she would have to back up. She'd have to retrace her steps to get a running start for the exactly. horse to jump. So, I mean, it just makes sense physiologically and logically to to go through the gate. Yeah. So then we have this fabulous description. Crop handle carved in bone sat high upon her throne of finest English leather. Leather, 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 leather. Crop handle carved in bone sat high upon her throne of finest English leather. leather, leather. A little historical note, the women's saddles that were specially modified for riding side saddle were way more expensive than the men's saddles. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so this lady is well off. She's well off, yeah. Whether she's a part of the aristocracy or whether she's a part of the middle class who has upward intentions and mm-hmm. has whose family has been successful enough or she herself has been successful enough or she's married successfully enough to afford the kit. Yes, we, yeah. she, she has money. Yeah. And therefore power. My absolute favorite line i laughed out loud when when we listened to it earlier my absolute favorite line is next the queen of all the pack this joker raised his hat and talked about the weather yep <laughs> the queen of all the pack this joker raised his hat and talked about the weather, weather. like what do you do what do you do when a highfalutin aristocracy lady stops and you have to open the fence for her you're like uh, and then right, and then she's staring you down. Lovely day for a ride, ma'am. Ugh. Nice day for a fox hunt, I assume. I've never done it. Ugh. I would like to fox hunt if it were today. She eats you up with her eyes. Right. And then he has the warning all should be warned about this highborn hunting girl. Yeah. All should be warned about this highborn hunting girl. 
So, Nick, this I had a revelation when I was looking at the lyrics this time round. So, obviously, what happens next is we have an encounter of a sexual nature between our characters in which there is a distinct power dynamic. Uh-huh. And when I was thinking about the song, I was like, oh, you know, the brilliant thing about this song is that it's so veiled in metaphor and there's nothing really explicit about it. It's it is barely veiled. I was wrong. It is tissue paper veiled. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Nick, let's, I think, I like to think of our podcast as being sex positive. I should think so. I mean, we're, we're nearly everything positive. Yeah, just about. Not fascism, definitely. Mm, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. But yes, sex positive. And, and here I think that we should, we should aspire to be kink friendly or at least kink non-judgmental. Sure. Consent away, baby. Yeah. If you want to give or receive anything in from this song and everybody, all parties involved are, are good with it, as long as you do it safely, more right. power to you. But let's talk about, Nick, why is this song so kinky? There is definite sadomasochist over and undertones. <laughs> yes. You're, you're referring to uh, the reference to her... Her crop handle, uh-huh. all the references to leather, perhaps Boot leather spur. The it, I un, mm, yep, uh, breathe it out. Something I caught this time around, really, really paying attention to the lyrics. Spur necks the size of my thumb. Boot leather flashing the spur next the size of my thumb. Right. What is this? What is that? So the spur is the piece that goes around the heel of the boot. Right. And it is generally leather or, or some, some metal molded around it. And at the heel is a piece of metal that comes out and holds the spur. The spur is usually a sharp piece of metal that you dig into the haunches of the horse to get them to go faster. or Right. And it turns. It's a little circle and it turns yeah. on a spindle. Usually it's goading. It's punishing. Right. But the spur neck is the thing. The, the metal that projects from right. the boot and, and makes it project out from the boot. So the, the fact that the spur neck is not some dainty little spindle, but the size of his thumb yeah, yeah. implies that the spur itself is significant. Well, and it almost implies that she's some kind of Amazonian presence. That's exactly where I was going, is that she, this lady, likes to... She gets a little kick out of causing pain here, which she obviously does with her horse by using such a big spur. Interesting, yeah. And therefore, it will obviously translate to to this other animal that is not even as good as her horse. Right. There's also, you know, if you look at this scene physically, she is on the horse and therefore, you know, a good almost six feet above where he's standing. Uh Uh-huh. Which mimics the power dynamic here. And I think that the power dynamic is the kinkiest thing about all of this. Oh, yeah. It's almost the opposite of the Ray Lomas scene. Rather than him riding up on his... You know, there we have a certain power dynamic. He's he's older. He's fashionable. He's preying on these impressionable young women. This is the opposite. The hunting girl is rich, Mm well-bred, has money, is physically seated higher, is a is a... A sportswoman is is physically, you know, Im, impressive and skillful. Mm-hmm. And this guy's just some rando. <laughs> I'm, with, a, I, with a pretty face. With how quick the turn happens in this song, 
I am very confident in saying this is not the first time this lady did this. I I think you're right. <laughs> and also, I'm I'm about to give you the best joke I've ever made in my entire life. Oh my gosh, I've waited so long. What is Omen, it? this is Fifty Shades of Green. Oh god. Mm. That's that's the highlight of your of your joke career, Nick. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was great. I'm proud of it. So we see the description of, of her kit used both for her horse and for the other beast of burden. Mm-hmm. The boot leather, the spurnex, etc. This highborn hunter had tastes as strange as they come. As they come. This highborn hunter had tastes as strange as they come. Unbridled passion, I took the bit in my teeth. Unbridled passion, I took the bit in my teeth. So the bit is the part that the horse literally holds in their teeth, and it's it's what the reins attach to, so you yes. can pull either side and direct the horse. It's, it's basically the steering wheel. Now, that could be, literally, she put a horse bit in his teeth, or it could be metaphorical that she physically took control of the situation. True. Although, part of me wants to say that it is actually physical because of the unbridled passion. Oh, interesting. Because unbridle, to unbridle means to take your kit off of your horse. Yeah. Her standing over me, on my knees, underneath. Her standing over me, on my knees, so, Nick, you are envisioning that that she's riding our narrator like he's a little pony. Yeah. Let's talk physiology for a second. He's getting nothing out of this unless he enjoys getting whipped and humiliated. Because if she's on top when he's on his knees, what's going to happen? <laughs> he's going to get his knees bruised. He's going to get bruised knees. Yeah. Well, I had read, actually read it in a, in a different way. Okay. I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you had that interpretation. I had read it in a, that the bit was uh, not the not the actual bit of the horse, but that she, wow, I'm trying to think of a not, of a way of saying this that isn't just a. You're saying the bit is a part of her anatomy. Yes, that she gotcha. took a ride on his face. Okay, Yeah. I can see that. Took a little mustache ride. Yeah. Sat, took a repose upon his... On his, his nose. Face. <laughs> repose on his nose. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's possible too. Yeah. And she clearly likes the little rough. So if there's a little nibbling going on, then... Oh my. You know? We didn't so, need to go there, Nick. So be it. Oh, please. Okay. <laughs> the only thing is me on my knees underneath. Uh, well, he could be on his knees and she could be standing. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Because she doesn't want to get her, her her stuff on dirty on the ground. Well, sure. If she's got layers of petticoats and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, logically. So we, we get a, a tiny little instrumental break between her standing over me on my knees underneath. And before we get into my lady, be discreet. A tiny instrumental break, which is nonetheless pretty energetic. Oh, uh, it's, it's a fantastic part of the song, just like the whole, the whole piece. But right 
before he says, my lady be discreet, there is a whip crack. Is there really? Yep. It's it's way back. Wow. It's very easy to miss, but it's in there. I'll, I that. hope I can get, I hope I can isolate it enough to play it. I'll, I'll drop it in here if I can. Great. So yeah, so then we have, my lady be discreet, I must get to my feet and go back to the farm. Whilst I appreciate you are no deviate, I might come to some harm. My lady be discreet, I must get to my feet and go back to the farm. Whilst I appreciate you are no deviate, I might come to some harm. Let's break that down, Nick. I think there's double meaning there. Oh, interesting. I think, A, you're beating the hell out of me here. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not quite accustomed to this, even though I'm I'm clearly a farmer and I get beat up just doing physical labor. Like right. he's, this is too rough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like if they got caught, he would he would be killed. Yeah, he would be killed instantly. Right, because of the class system. The class distinction. How how dare you touch a lady? She she made me. I I had literally no choice. Yeah, but but you you can't touch a lady. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, then it's his word against hers. Yeah. She could just blame everything on him or she could admit it. And either way, he'd be the one in trouble. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And then they'd be like, oh, now we understand why Lady Fothingham always disappears on the hunt. <laughs> we have to go hunting more often. <laughs> I'm not inclined to act refined if that's how it goes. I'm not inclined to act refined if that's how it goes. So he's he's trying to describe what his experience just was as acts refined because yeah. he doesn't have any other way of referring to it and he doesn't want right. to offend her. Because he's so lowly yeah. that they just rut like pigs in, in the stall. What she's doing is is clearly something far beyond his league. Yeah. And above his pay grade. Above a lot of things. And then the final line is actually a velvet mondegreen that I've I've always heard before. Makes no sense. And I've actually got a velvet mondegreen sting. You haven't heard it yet. You'll hear oh, it in, a, in an earlier episode prior to this. But I'm gonna So the line it. is, oh, high-born hunting girl, I'm just a normal low-born so-and-so. Oh, high-born hunting girl, I'm just a normal low-born so-and-so. Yeah. So what did you used to hear? Wait, I want to play my sting first. Okay. Is it a bear? Is he shaking his hair? Is it velvet mondegreen? Oh my god. So proud. That's wonderful. So proud. So I, and it doesn't make any sense in the song at all, but I always heard, I'm just a normal lowborn so-and-so, is I'm just a normal noble so-and-so. Huh. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense in the song, but that's yeah. it. That's huh. my Velvet Mondegreen. Good to know. I didn't ever realize that the first line was, one day I walked the road and crossed a field to go by. One day I walked the road and crossed a field to go by where the hounds ran by. I had never heard any of those words before. Oh, I really? Just, <laughs> I just heard, where the hunts ran by. Yeah. <laughs> Like the instrumentation, he starts out hard out of the gate, which is a very apt analogy. Yeah, it's it's like you have to you have to wait for the automatic translator to kick in before you can yeah. understand what's happening. 
So, oh, highborn hunting girl, I'm just a noble, I'm just a normal lowborn so-and-so. So it's, I sort of get the impression that he's like, he's survived this experience and he's slowly backing away. Yes. Pulling up yeah. his breeches. Like there's a cougar there. Literally. L- literally. Like there's a literal cougar and he's trying to save himself because honestly, one wrong step and he could really, really set himself up for disaster. Absolutely. Yeah. If he if he pisses her off, she could make his life a living hell or she could make sure that he dies. And that's what's so kinky about this is that she has all the power. Every drop of it. So even though she is on the lower echelons of the aristocracy, uh, just by virtue of being a woman, she's still leaps and bounds above above this guy. Well, and she could be still pretty high up. Right. I'm saying just as a woman, she can only be so high, unless she's like Queen Elizabeth. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah. So she has, de- yeah, she's got all the power. Well, the other great thing about this song is that we don't have her saying a single word. All that we know about this exchange is what he describes, what our narrator basically tells us is going on. Yes. And what he says to her. Right. But all we yeah. know about her are what she looks like and what her actions are. And so I sort of like to imagine that this entire thing took place without her saying anything. Yes, I like that a lot. You know, and that goes back to the whole training manual on how to command a horse. And, you know, one of the (laughs) interesting things is, is that in some of these training manuals, it says that women have potentially the ability to be better riders than men because, well, men can tell their mounts what to do by brute force. Mm-hmm. Women have the power of subtlety and compassion. Yeah. So that they can not only, they can understand their horse and because, quote unquote, they don't have the strength physical of, of men, they depend on more subtlety. So a woman in theory, according to these manuals, can get a better performance out of a horse by virtue of subtle and specific signals I imagine that that could translate to this scenario as well. Yeah. It's more, what is it? You get more flies with honey than vinegar. Yes. Spank more flies with honey. Yep. And you smear the honey on random bits of your body. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nick, anything else to say about hunting girl? No, I'm, I, I think we covered a lot of it. I'm worn out. I'm more, I need a nap. Yeah. 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 We didn't talk about my, one of my favorite lines. I raised the flag that she unfurled. She took the simple man's downfall in hand. I raised the flag that she unfurled. I knew it. I, I went back and saw it and I saw that we missed it. And, and honestly, it's not a surprise that we had to, we had to address it. It's a great line. It has more than one meaning. It's sort of a triple entendre, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. This song is great. Song great. Hunting girl great. Songs from the wood great. What song are we talking next week? Next week, we are talking about Solstice Bells. Yes. Ring out Solstice Bells. Ding dong. A little interesting history on uh, on Solstice Bells. I mean, not nothing too too in-depth, but interesting 
Yeah, interesting. Solstice spells. Come back next week. Yes, we'll <laughs> get, into, get into, into it, it. <laughs> a week from today. Yep. In the meantime, the kinkiest thing you can do for me is leave five marks on Apple Podcasts. That's right. In the form of stars. Yeah. Tell us exactly what this podcast does for you <laughs> by way of Tell a five-star review. Yeah, let everybody know. Shame us. Shame us publicly with a five-star <laughs> review. <laughs> also, after you do that, head on over to patreon.com forward slash talk told to me and give us a subscription, give us a gander, and hopefully we'll see you there so you can check out some more of our content that we have to offer. Yes, you could be our $1 sugar daddy. Mm, the cheapest sugar we could get. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically corn syrup. <laughs> Until next week, I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moms. And this, believe it or not, is Talk Told to Me. Oh, Lady Pennyfeather, Lady Pennyfeather, stop! Do you see that peasant there? Oh, yes. His buttocks is indeed shaped like several watermelons. Oh, how supple it is. You, you there, peasant. You, yes. you come here, you, yes. Uh, yes. Yes, do do me a favor. Sit on that log. Oh. Oh. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a moment, wait a moment. I've dropped my handkerchief. Won't you bend uh, over and uh, pick it up? Pick it up. No, no, no. Yes. Don't bend at the knees. Bend at the waist. Oh, bend and snap. Oh, oh my. Oh, my. Oh, oh look, look at this. Look at this wooden spoon I have in my pack. Oh. Put it in your teeth. Yes. Oh, yes. Bite it. It still has the remnants of polenta on it. You can <laughs> taste it, I'm sure. The Italian grain. <laughs> Lady Bithnoth. Yes, Lady Pennyfeather. We should most assuredly come hunting in Kensington more often. Oh, I feel like I'm in a Kensington haze. <laughs> did we say you could go anywhere? No, we did not. Stay there. No, take off your shoes so you can't run away. Filthy. That's right. Filthy. That's right. Eat your shoes. Eat them. Eat, Eat them. them. Lick them. Lick them. Yes. Yes. Oh, how delightful. Now, I, I, I have an idea, Lady Pennyfeather. What is it? What is it, Lady Bunthoth? We'll make him. We'll make him say something. <gasps> no, what? Something naughty? Have him. Have him tell us. Tell us. Mm, uh, oh, yes. Yes. What talk told to me is a proud member of. Uh, you trying to get him to say that it's a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network, aren't you? I am. <laughs> oh, how delightfully sinful! <laughs> oh damn! We have to go. No. You stay. We didn't say you could go anywhere. You stay here and li wait till next week. <laughs> <laughs>